Good morning, church. Good morning. So wonderful to be back with you. Hated to miss last week, but you would not have wanted me here hacking around you. Super appreciative of John, who filled in uh, very last minute. I called him Friday before the Sunday he was supposed to preach. I do know that he preaches often in Hearn and has some things, so to speak, uh, cooking usually. And so uh, if I was going to flick that on somebody that late, I wanted it to be somebody like that. But he brought a great blessing to us, but it's wonderful to be back with you this beginning of the new year. Happy New Year to all of you. If you're just joining us and visiting with us, I want to encourage you to, to come join us in the Welcome Center. There's always coffee and, and drinks that are there and interact with us and also connecting point that meets here uh, Sunday evening at 6 in that same place. If you haven't made a connection in a small group, it's a great place to, to get started and make those connections. Um, I appreciate John for starting us off at the beginning of a new year with a classic passage in the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 1. What does it look like to have an abundant life as we go into the new year? And I thought I would, I would borrow from the ancient church's tradition to say the first Sunday of the year, it might be good to go all the way back to the beginning, not just of the new year, but of the beginning of all of creation. Maybe learn something as we begin our new year from how God started all the years when he created the world. So if you have your Bibles, your devices, we're going to read from the book of Genesis, the first five verses of the Bible. Uh, we'll read along there. You'll see on the screen the words that we say when we finish uh, at the end. We just practice this simple thing to say, God, we thank you for revealing the Lord's self to us. Would you please stand out of respect for God <clears throat> as we read the word of God? This is the word of God from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, this is true not just at the beginning of the year, but often at different times in our lives. Sometimes the hardest thing to do in life is just to start. Whatever the thing is that we're avoiding or, or, or not starting, sometimes the hardest thing to do is just getting started with something new, some project, some effort, some task that we're called to do. I don't know, maybe it was the new year I was thinking about from my experience as being a parent. All of our children had a day like this, but I, I was reminded all the way back to when I was a child, a, particularly Saturday, a particular Saturday morning. Got up in the morning, all I wanted to do was go out with my friends and play football. That was the goal for the day. I was going to go play. My mom said, that's fine. She just walked by and she said, there's just one thing you got to do. Before you go play, you have to clean your room first. We had times like this before, experiences like this. Do you remember this as a child? Do you remember this moments like this as a parent? I mean, it was a simple ask, no big deal. Just clean your room, then you can do whatever you want for as long as you want. Now, the problem was, if you had seen my room, 
It was an absolute disaster area. Clothes everywhere, sports equipment everywhere, football carts all over the place, socks. I mean, it was horrible. And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, sitting there in my room looking around, and I was paralyzed because I did not know where to start. And I remember thinking, Ash, I could work forever, and I would do this, and I would do this, and I, there would be more. And I sat there, listen, I'm not making this up. I lost most of the day because I just sat there in the mess of the room, and I thought about a thousand other things to do, and I didn't get started. I couldn't get started. Now, my mom wasn't mean. She wasn't an ogre. She just insisted, before you go out, you're going to clean your room. Have you had times like that? I do that with papers, too, by the way, in college, all the way through. But I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then the last day. Now, we think of these moments as children or as parents with children, and it's fun and it's silly, but there are other times in our life where the stakes are a little higher and it's more serious, is it not? Have you ever had some moment or season in your life where you had this prompting from God, some inkling from the Lord that you needed to step into something new? You needed to venture out a little bit more. Did you ever have a sense of that? Only the problem was there was a little bit of risk to it. And there was a little uncertainty to it. And it was really hard to do what? Just start. Often this time of year, we think about it in a different way. We think about all of the places and the ways where we need to surrender something in our lives more intentionally and more specifically. We need to eat better. We need to exercise more. We need to, whatever the case may be. And we have this sense that we, we need to step a little bit more into surrendering some aspect of our life to the Lord. And if you're like me, sometimes it's the hardest thing to do just to start, to let go of something you're doing or not doing in some rhythm or some way. Sometimes the sense we get is about a relationship or a group of people. Have you ever had a sense that it felt God-led for you to step into, sometimes step out of, but, but usually step into some group, some relationship, engage in a small group, join some ministry, just engage a family member more, get, get around another person. You had this sense that God was prompting you to step into relationship more. And sometimes the hardest thing to do in a moment like that is just get started. Why in the world would we start a new year reading the first five verses of the Bible. Well, here's a simple thought. I wonder if we could head into the beginning of our new year in 2024 by learning some wisdom on how God started the first year ever. Is it possible we might learn something, some wisdom or insight about our own new beginnings by going all the way back to God's first beginning and learning how some rhythms and principles and insights that God did when he started the world might help us as we start a new year. So that's all I want to do. I just want to make a few observations. I want to look at these classic lines in scripture and make a few observations about God's first beginnings that might give us some insight into our own beginnings of a new year. The first thing I notice right off in verse one is that there is a gift in the opening of the story. I don't know if you recognize this, but right off the bat, there's a gift that is here in the first three words, in the beginning. There's a gift there. If you're like me, I've often missed this in my life. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen this before this week studying this passage. Because here's the thing. If you read here, we see the beginnings of this. But if you keep reading through Genesis chapter 1, you will see all sorts of things, all sorts of gifts that God creates. And you will see for the first time 
Things that have never been seen before because they haven't been before. You will see plants and animals and mountains and trees. You will see cosmological wonders. You will see the joy of interaction in human relationships. And you will see it all for the first time because God had never done it before. And they're all gifts. But if you're like me, if you're not careful, you might miss the first gift that God ever created in the beginning. Have you ever thought about this? You know, the first thing that God created was not the world. The first thing that God created was beginning. You ever thought about this? God created a beginning. Before this moment in time, there never was a thing called beginning. Because nothing had ever had to start before. Because the only thing that existed before this moment was God's own self. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who did not have a beginning, will not have an end. God has always been living in this glorious, wonderful, joyful, adventurous relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this dynamic relationship we call the Trinity. Self-giving love, receiving the wonder of relationship for all of eternity, and there was no beginning of God. So isn't this staggering to think? I've, I've read this text hundreds of times. I've never thought about this before. When I sunk into the words, in the beginning, God didn't just create the world. God created beginnings. And that's the first gift. God gave us the gift of beginnings, of starting over, of new starts to years and times in the world. That's why every time January comes around, I really do lean into the new year and the celebration of the new year because it is an opportunity for us to receive again the gift of God's new beginning. And I want to think about that for a moment, maybe a way to practice this simple insight from the first beginning is to ask yourself, is it possible for you to actually anticipate and expect hope in the new year? Is that something that you can actually think about as we're beginning a new year? It's not just that we're turning the calendar. It's that we're stepping into a relationship with a God who loves to start again and loves to give us the gift of new beginnings. So is it possible there's some area or place in our lives where we need to ask the Lord, what is it that I need to appreciate afresh and anew this year? Isn't that a simple but a good question? What do I need to receive as your gift of a new beginning? Because often the case is, maybe with you, it certainly is with me. Sometimes the thing that I need to begin again in is not something new at all, but it's appreciating something that God has given me for a long, long time, and I just take it in again. Again, this one is fresh in my mind because, you know, last week I was, I was in Virginia with our family, and we were all set. I mean, we were all set. And I was sitting there on the couch, and I was sitting in my mother's living room, sitting on the couch, looking around. Our whole family's there. We're all hacking, and we're coughing, and we're wheezing. But I'm telling you, I looked over right here, and my mom was sitting in her chair. And I'm just telling you, for the first time in my life, last year, mom wasn't there when we went home. Some of you know because you prayed for us. My mom broke her leg really severely right before the holidays, and she was spending this time last year in assisted living in order to rehab from that. And I remember we'd spend all the day with her and then at seven o'clock at night, we all pile in the car and we'd go home to mom's house and we would sit in that living room and she wasn't in her chair. I'm just telling you, that hurt. And even though we were hacking and we were coughing and we were wheezing, in this new year, in this new holiday season, I was thanking God for my mom being where she was supposed to be and we were together even though we were sick. Is there something in your life 
that's already been there, but God says at the beginning of 2024, it might be a great opportunity to say thank you again. God, I want to appreciate again. I want to begin again in an appreciation for what you've already done. Have you thought about that before? The gift in the opening of the story is the gift of beginning itself. And then we come to the next word, and it tells us that the assumptions really do matter. When you come into anything new, I want you to think about this. The assumptions that you carry into anything new really make a difference. And that's true in the biblical story, and that's true in 2024. The assumptions that you are making right now, when you come into the new year, will redefine everything about what you experience in your life. What are we assuming as we go into the new year? Do you know in this, this passage right here, the Bible tells us extraordinary things are being assumed at the beginning of the story. Huge things. Part of this is on my mind because we spent... In our Wednesday night Bible class, I spent the whole semester studying evidences for God and for Scripture and reasons to believe. And when we think about all of those things and the things people wrestle with, isn't it interesting that when you start the Bible, the first five verses of the Bible, and you start reading there, look at what the Bible does not do. You know what the Bible doesn't do in the first five verses? Or anything in the opening of the Bible. That God does not spend any time or effort trying to prove God's existence. Doesn't do it. Uh, the Bible doesn't do anything in these opening passages trying to describe and outline the nature and the characteristics of God. That's not what it does. And the Bible does nothing in these opening passages, even though we want to spend a lot of time in these passages doing this. Arguing about God and how God created the world or anything like that. It doesn't argue anything. Listen to this. It assumes God. In the beginning, what? God. Doesn't argue it, doesn't describe it, doesn't do anything about it, doesn't abate it. It assumes it. In fact, it's almost as if the Lord says, let me tell you a story. It's a true story. Let me tell you a story where you can imagine the world assuming God and see what flows from that. See how that works. Have you ever tried assuming God doesn't exist? How does your life work that way? Isn't it beautiful? Scripture begins by assuming God at the beginning of the story. I wonder if we did that at the beginning of the new year. Here's another way to say it. Scholars like to point this out. It's a simple grammatical point, but sometimes the grammar teaches us something really practical. You know what it tells us? There's a lot of things the Bible talks about from beginning to end, a lot of things. But you know the first subject in the Bible is God. First subject in the beginning, God created. Subject and In the beginning, God created. Hear me, this is so important. It seems so simple, but it's so important. The first subject in all the Bible is not church. The first subject in the Bible is not salvation. The first subject in the Bible is not you, your wants and your desires. The first subject in the Bible is God. That God is up to something. God is moving. God is planning. God is purposing in some way. The Bible assumes God, and the subject of the Bible is God from the very beginning. And you might say, what's the big deal about this? Here's just a thought. I just wonder. If this is how the story of all creation begins, I wonder if there is some wisdom in starting 2024 with the same assumption and the same subject. Ever thought about that? 
If the Bible assumes God at the beginning of the whole story, and the subject of the Bible is God, I wonder, as we begin 2024, if it might be wise for us to have the same assumption, God, and the same subject, God, from with everything we do in 2024. And you might say, well, of course we do that. I assume God. Do we really? Do we assume that God has a plan for 2024? Do you assume God has a vision for your life and your family and our church in 2020? Do you assume that? Do you assume God has values? Do you assume God has expectations? Do you assume God has dreams for 2020? Do you assume that first and everything flow from it? Or what about the subject? Is God the subject? Or if we're really honest with ourselves, I'll just say with me, I often make my plans for a new year like this. In the beginning, Dean. In the beginning, Dean has these opportunities. In the beginning, Dean has these ideas. And in the beginning, Dean has these thoughts. In the beginning, Dean, and it starts with me or us or our family in the church. What if we started by saying in the beginning of 2024, God already is working and has a plan. And how do I fit into that? It will change everything. I've mentioned several times before a book that helped me practically live that out. Years ago I read, I mentioned it in other contexts, let me give it to you in a different perspective here. It's a book called Experiencing God. Blackaby and King write this book, we'll talk about how do you practically seek out the Lord's work in your life and experience the Lord working in your life. And when it comes to this part, I'm reminded of something, the whole section they talked about. And they talked about how strange it is uh, for churches and the way churches make plans and Christians make plans sometimes. Think about this. I don't know if this hits at home. It certainly did for me when I read it the first time. They said, here's the way we often do it. We will sit down and we will, we will research and we'll think out and we'll dream and we'll brainstorm and we'll put stuff all over the whiteboards and we'll come up with all of these great plans. Do you see it? And we'll bring them to God and we'll say, God, would you bless these? Do we ever do that? And we'll make our budgets, and we'll make our plans, and we'll lay out our thoughts. I'm not talking about don't plan or whatever, but we will make all of our plans and thoughts, and then we offer them to the Lord and say, God, would you bless our plans? He said, what if we actually work the other way around, the way Jesus does? The whole book of experiencing a God comes off of the verse in John chapter 5 where Jesus says to people attacking him for working on Saturday, this is what he says, my father is always working. God is always working. And Jesus says, to paraphrase what's going on, Jesus says, here's how I live my life. I look for where the Father is working, and I just join him there, because I can't do anything without doing the Father. So the Father's working, and I join him. Now, that sounds so simple, but think about this. How different would it be to plan our 2024 if we assumed God, and we started with God as the subject, and not just us? In other words... I'm not just going to make all of my plans and resolutions and thoughts and ask God to bless them. Instead, I'm going to assume, listen, God's already working in 2024. God's already moving in 2024. God's already planning something for 2024. And I'm asking God, where are you working? And I'm going to show up there. Isn't that powerful? By the way, ever since I read that years ago, I don't always do it perfectly but I change the way I live life that way, and I change the way I do ministry that way. I'll just give you one example of this, but, but I love, part of what it made me do is instead of figuring everything out, I'm just literally looking around for where God's doing God's stuff, and I come and join him. I'm in a Bible study with a guy because I saw God do some stuff in a VBS, and I'm like, I want to hang out with this dude. And we've done life together, have we not, for a while, right? That, that's, how, that's how God has pushed me in places, and I've experienced things. This is just on my heart for lots of reasons. You'll hear more later. I don't know if he can even hear me here, but 
I'm thinking a lot right now about my buddy Kyler, Kyler Christensen. A lot of you guys know Kyler. When things break, he fixes it. First service, the wrong thing was up there, and he's just moving it and doing stuff. I don't know if I've ever told him this way. I've talked a lot about what a blessing he's been to me, but you know, next week will be two years from the moment that I first stood here with you and we came here. And I remember when I first came here, this has been true for a lot of people, I'm just giving Kyler as an example, but I remember, never said it quite this way to him, but I remember the first several times I started interacting with Kyler, this is what I thought, God's all over this guy. God's all over this guy. He's incredibly gifted, you know that, he's incredibly talented, but here's one of the things I love so much, we were talking about this the other day, like seven years ago, Jenny said, you know, if you want to get to know people at the church, a great idea would be go and help with check-in. You'll get to know the families. Seven years later, Kyler's still doing it. And I'm telling you, I've done it with a lot of situations, people, and places, but I'm telling you, two years ago, I sensed God's all over this guy. I want to hang out with him. I got to know him better, and then I would bring him on teams that I was a part of because I saw his giftedness, and I'm telling you, my life is different. One of the greatest joys of my life in the last two years is getting to know my friend Kyler. Why? Because God is at work in him. I'm telling you, it would change your life in 2024 if instead of bringing God your plans, you might start by saying, God, where, in in whom, in what ministry, in what situation, in what place in the community are you doing some work, and I'm going to show up where you already are. It will change your life. We learn that from the opening words of the Bible. We'll go out of order a little bit here. I'm going to skip down to verses 3 through 5 for this one. The wisdom that I see in the rhythm, the way God creates, I call it mind your pace. Pay attention to your pace and your rhythm. You know this. If you're exercising, you know this. If you're training and biking or running or whatever the case, mind your pace. What do I mean by this? What you notice already in the first five verses of the Old Testament is there is a rhythm and a pace to God's creation. Did you catch it? It's a strange one. You probably heard it. If you've gone to church enough, you might have heard it enough where you kind of brushed past it, but I really want to sink into this for a moment. Did you notice the rhythm of God's creation? It says in verse 5, there was evening and there was morning the first day. Let me say that again. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And we only got the first five verses, but if you keep reading through verse 31, it goes on to say that same thing, almost like the chorus of a song, almost exactly like the chorus of a song, five more times. There was evening and morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day, all the way down to the sixth day. It was evening, there was morning, and that's what they call the day. What is strange about that? Is that the way we reckon the rhythm of our day? Is that the way we do it? We've heard this maybe before, but have you ever stopped and tasted this for a moment? Maybe you've heard Jewish people start their day at night. Yeah, that's cool, but let's think about it for a moment. It was evening and it was morning the first day. The Hebrew rhythm of time, listen to this. God starts his day at night. What does that tell us? God in this story starts doing all of this stuff at night. God speaks the stars into existence at night. God speaks the mountains into existence at night. God speaks the plants and the animals into existence at night. God speaks humanity into existence at night. God's day starts at night. What's the rhythm of our day? I think about night. That's that's time, you know, and I'm a later guy, okay, so I'll, I'll stay up later, but it's still, but nighttime, I'm winding down, right? Winding down. 
And what nighttime eventually at least represents for most of us is this is the time, I love the way one writer puts it, we are literally going to the place in life where we are the most unproductive, <laughs> non-productive. I know there's psychological stuff that happened in your sleep, but you're not getting your to-do list done. You're not doing things. You're not being productive. You lay down and go to sleep. And then I think about it, in the morning, we get up in the morning, and like, I don't know about you, but for me, morning doesn't start until coffee is in the system. And I get coffee, and then we're going, and we're out charging to take on the day. But listen to me, this is so important. I was thinking about this with a friend of mine recently. We were talking about this, that some of you in this room, I know, because I know some of you, some of you pride yourself on being early risers. You know this, some of you do. You get up at 5 a.m., you get up at 4 a.m., and you're early risers. Listen to me. The earliest riser among us, when you get up and you go out to start the day, listen to me, the day is half over already. You hear that? The day is half over when you're just getting started. And that's incredibly important to understand with the way that we approach and expect life. The person I credit uh, learning this for years ago, I read a book called Working the Angles from Eugene Peterson. The same guy that translated the message. It's a bit of a chunky quote, but follow this because it is so powerful if you get the practical implications of the telling of the story here. Here's what he says. The Hebrew evening, morning sequence. You ready for this? Conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep and God begins his work. We wake and we're called out to participate in God's creative action. We respond in faith, in work, yes. But always, grace is previous. Grace is primary. I love this line. Listen to this. We wake into a world we didn't make and into a salvation we didn't earn. Evening. God begins without our help his creative day. Morning, God calls us to enjoy and share and develop the work he initiated. Isn't that great? Mind your pace. Pay attention to the rhythm. Listen, if you get this, it changes everything about how we even get up in the morning. I don't know about you, I get up sometimes and I'm charged and I'm, I'm energized and I'm stressed because I've got all this stuff I need to make sure that I accomplish. Listen, God's already started half the day and he didn't need my help. Listen, if we really take this in practically, it will change what is for many of us the most difficult time of the day. You know what's the hardest time of the day for a lot of people? When you lay down to go to sleep. Because if you're like me, I think of all the stuff I didn't finish. Think about all the things I can't fix. All the stuff, solutions I want to work through. Listen, what if instead of going to bed in anxiety in the unfinished nature of things, what if we went to bed with expectancy because God is just getting started with the day? Great. What if we did this? Could you imagine this is a simple rhythm for the new year? Before I go to sleep, some drifting off. I pray this prayer, I learned this from an app, it's a beautiful prayer. God, I give everyone and everything to you. God, I give everyone and everything to you. Not in some just blind trust, but knowing that the Lord is just beginning the Lord's work of the day, and I hand it all over to him. I can't fix any of it, so here you go, and God gets started. And what if when we get up in the morning, we just assume that the Lord's already been working, we can kind of step in and say, all right, God, 
Where do you want me to join you in your work? What are you doing? Where can I fit in with what you've already been doing and you didn't need me to start? Wouldn't that change our 2024? To step into the pace and the rhythm of our God that we learned all the way back in the beginning of creation. Wouldn't that be nice? The last thing I want to see is just go back to verse 2. I call it a moment where we notice the introduction of a really important character in the Bible. Notice the introduction. One of the things that we learn in any storytelling art, whether it's great movies or great literature, any great storyteller will tell you that one of the most important things to pay attention to is the opening scene of an important character. Whether it's great movie, great literature, or whatever, when you're studying your stuff in school, one of the things you notice when a new character is introduced and it's an important character, pay attention to the opening scene will point you in the direction and often tell you almost everything you need to know about that who, who that person will be. I actually, I'd already graduated, but I thought it'd be fun to kind of take a class. I sat in with some of my college students taking a class in filmmaking. And we studied, uh, how cool is this, like your homework is watching movies. And we talked about movies. And I remember, I thought it was a real strange one for them to pick, but the professor said of all the movies we're going to start with, as the prototypical Hollywood story, it was the movie Groundhog Day. Does anybody remember this? Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, you know, he keeps living the same day again. But he said, if you go watch the movie, it has all of the stock movements that Hollywood uses to tell a good story. It's a good movie, but it doesn't. And the part that just really stuck with me is we stopped on that first day, we watched the opening scene. And he said, if you watch the opening scene of two major characters, you will learn everything you need to know about who these characters are, especially the beginning of the story. If you've seen the movie, then Phil, played by Bill Murray, is a narcissistic, self-centered dude. And the opening scene is of him being a train wreck with every person around him. He's self-centered, he's dismissive, he's cynical, and that's the flavor you get of who this guy is when he begins. And there's this tiny little scene of Andy McDowell's character, Rita. She's the new producer that he's never worked with before. And while he's doing all of his stuff, she is up and all, you know, all the TV's off and all that stuff, but she's playing in the technology of the weatherman stuff. You know, when they do this and they're pointing and there's nothing but a green screen behind it, and she's popping in and out and she's doing all this. And, and you get this sense of the lightness and the joyfulness of her character was exactly who she is in the story. She's the one that brings peace to the chaos that Bill Murray brings all around him and transforms. Now, here's what I've learned to be true. What is true about great storytelling in movies and in literature in fiction is also true with the great storytelling in nonfiction that you find even in Scripture. Pay attention in all the stories in the Bible to the introduction of the opening character, the first sermon that Jesus ever preaches in Luke 4 is really important, all of those kind of things, the first moment where he shows up and the things that he does and doesn't do. But here what we find in the Bible is the introduction in verse 2, the opening scene of a really important character. In fact, we spent a whole semester, last semester, studying this character. Who do we get introduced to in Genesis 1 verse 2? The Holy Spirit of God. Let me read to you again the opening scene. Now take it in. What does this tell you about the character, one of the most important characters, the most important character in all of the Bible? Verse 2. I'm going to read it through the NASB because I love the punch of the description of the world. Now the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. Darkness 
was over the surface of the deep. You ready for the introduction? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hear that again. Now the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Did you know in the Bible, we miss this sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, but it carries into the New, the idea of the sea and the waters are a symbol from beginning to end of chaos, of fear, of the world being turned upside down. Did you know that? From the beginning. That's why one of the first things God does in creation is he restrains the waters. The waters above and then the waters below are gathered. By the way, all the Lord has to do when we unleash chaos into the world with the flood is he removes his hand and the flood happens. And all throughout the Bible, the picture, the book of Job and the Leviathan or all of that, the sea is a symbol of the chaos and disorder of the world separate from God. In fact, you go to the end of the Bible, so cool when you see these images, the end of the Bible, you know what it says in the book of Revelation? It does not say that the Lord restrains the sea at the end. Do you know what it says? There was no longer any sea. It's gone. So what do we find in the opening scene of the Spirit of God hovering over the chaotic and fearful, desolate emptiness of the world, hovering, getting ready to create? And from this moment on, starting in that separating light from dark and all of the things that happened in the rest of chapter 1, but listen to the rest of the Bible. What is the character of the Holy Spirit? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is always hovering over what is desolate and chaotic and bringing order to it. The Holy Spirit is always hovering over what is empty and lifeless and filling it up. It's not just in verse 2. This is the opening scene. Now go read the Bible that way. Read through the book of Acts. What is the number one thing, verb, that is used to describe the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts? Holy Spirit is doing what? Filling people. Filling places. Filling them with courage and boldness and giftedness. With the ability to speak and to communicate and all of that. What does the Holy Spirit still do today? The Holy Spirit fills the church with giftedness for the mission of God. You get introduced in the beginning of the first creation to the Holy Spirit who hovers. Listen to me over every place of desolation, every place of emptiness, every place of chaos, every place of disorder in your life and stands ready to create again. So here's a way to personalize this going into 2024. I want you to imagine what it is that is the sea of your world. Maybe in your life and maybe in the lives of those you care about. What's the sea? What's the thing that's turned and stirred up? Can you imagine right now going into a new year the Holy Spirit of God hovering over the waters of that chaos? Can you imagine with expectation right now that the Holy Spirit stands ready to bring restoration and order to every desolate place in your life? Do you believe, can you even see it in your mind right now, the Holy Spirit stands ready to find every place of emptiness and fill it up again and then to use you to do the same thing in the world? Because listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to just say Happy New Year. The Holy Spirit wants to say Happy New Creation because that's what the Holy Spirit keeps doing again. And again, and again. Experience with a friend of mine that I didn't know at the beginning of last year, a, a mutual friend introduced us, didn't live here. We'll call him Craig, that's not his name, but we got to know each other, just phone calls and hanging out, interacting. And we were talking about going into the new year, and my friend Craig modeled for me what I want to be about and what I think this text invites us to do. He, he thought back over the last four years of his life and what led him to this moment, and 
A lot of things have happened in the four years of his life. Some of it was good. He got engaged in that time. He started a new business. But it's also the four most difficult years in his life that he's ever gone through. Part of it was because, listen, remember this, he started a brand new business. People are depending on him four years ago. What happened four years ago? This little thing called COVID, pandemic. And some of you know how hard it is. And the pressures that he faced when people were depending on him for their paychecks and their lives, how to start a new business and navigate it in such a way that's surviving and now starting to thrive again after the four years of that craziness. And then also something that happened at the beginning of that four-year span, and then at the end of that, because at the beginning of last year, uh, the, other, the other half happened. The first was four years ago, his father died, and then his mother died at the beginning of last year. And he was sitting back reflecting of all of the chaos and all of the turbulencies of the last four years. And he had the courage to recognize something. I'd call it a new creation kind of vision that he was able to have. He said, here's what I realized. I needed to do this for a while, but he said, I realized I've been hiding for four years. He said, I, I let COVID just let me shrimp back. He wasn't doing any evil things. He was just hiding. He needed to for self-protection, but then his family members died, all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden he's in his 40s. He's totally disoriented with the people who gave him life aren't there anymore, and he said, now I'm realizing as I'm going into 2024, what I need to do is I need to come to God and say, all right, what do I need to come to alive to again now? I had to hide, I had to retreat for a little while, but I realized I let things in my life die that shouldn't stay dead. So he said, God, what should I be pursuing? What should I be surrendering to? What should I be leaning into to become the man in 2024 you created me to be? Because I don't want to hide anymore. Isn't that a beautiful perspective? And listen, as my friend was talking about that, I can picture the Holy Spirit right now hovering over the sea of the last four years of his life, eagerly anticipating what Holy Spirit is going to recreate, reorder, and fill up in his life going forward. Isn't that a great perspective for all of us to say individually and in our families, in our church, can we let the Holy Spirit hover over the chaos of our lives and all the dreams and plans of our lives and say, join me in this because I'm already going that way and I'm going to fill this thing up. Father God, that is our prayer, that as we begin a new year, we step back into the rhythms of your new beginnings that you started a long time ago. With all of the hopes and the possibilities, God, it is about you. We are assuming you, we are banking on you, we are wanting to follow you, which show us where you are leading in the upcoming year and give us the courage and the strength to step into that. And let us be an avenue for others to do the very same thing. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have your elements for communion, I want us to partake of that now. I want to read a very brief passage that helps us ask this question. Remember this, we don't take this symbolic meal just to check the box because we're the church that does it every week. I say that often, but I just, let's know that. Okay, yeah, we take it every week. Let's take it meaningfully. And part of what we do is we don't throw Jesus back up on the cross again and it's not about that and like re-crucifying him. Listen, Jesus is raised from the dead, which means Jesus is the host of the meal. It's his table that he invites us to. He's hosting the meal. Jesus is present here. And no, it's not all the stuff that people have argued back in church history. We're not chewing on his arm and all that stuff. But Jesus is really present. The body, the bread, and the, and the cup don't just represent. Don't say that. That's not the biblical word. Jesus didn't say, this represents my body. What did he say? This is my body. He's here. So here's the question I want to ask when we're partaking today. Who is the Jesus 
who's hosting us at the meal today. Who is he? Who do we celebrate? Who do we worship? Who do we literally take into our lives? Let me read a passage. When I first start reading, you might think, what in the world does this have to do with communion? What does it have to do with anything? But remember where we've come from. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the sea. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Great question for New Year. Do you care about the turbulent seas of our lives? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Shalom, peace, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other the question I'm inviting you to ask before we take the meal. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? I don't know if you're like me, but I've read this verse, these passages most of my life, and I've often done it. Oh, this is one of the little places where the gospel writers are telling us Jesus is super powerful and he can do stuff over nature. Oh, that's cool. That's not the point. What did I say the sea represents all the way throughout the Bible? The chaotic disturbance of the world. What is the gospel writer telling us? Who is this Jesus? Jesus in this moment in the boat is the same Jesus who was there in Genesis 1 verse 2 hovering over the waters of chaotic creation. And it is the same word of God who spoke creation into existence in the first place, stilled the waters, restrained the seas, and created life. And that's who's hosting the meal. That's the one that we come to the table with right now. So when you take of the bread and you take of the cup, the first thing we do is we receive it. And whatever the turbulent seas of your life is, we take in this moment, Jesus, would you come say peace again? But every time we take communion, please, I never want us to forget that communion is not just a receiving, it is a commissioning. And whatever we receive at the Lord's table, we then go and share That's why in the early church, it was always after the message. You heard the word of God, and you were propelled from the table into the world to share what you received at the table. So if you have been given peace, guess what we get to do when we walk out of these doors? We get to be people of peace. And that's what we're tasting when we take this Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that Jesus instituted this sacred meal so long ago. For us to take these glorious symbols and say this is the body of Jesus that was given and broken for us and resurrected. This is the blood of Jesus that was poured out for all of the chaotic turbulence of our lives that enables peace to happen. And so first of all, we say thank you, Jesus, for giving us your life. But we also say, Jesus, would you then send us, send us as recipients of this meal to live in a way that we know that we've received the gift of the table. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please partake.